0: Many of the people uh, sitting here, um, up until this point, have lived uh, very sheltered lives, going to Yeshivot, a program in Israel. And uh, next year will be the first year that people are exposed to a much broader world, a world that has a lot to offer, a lot of opportunities, but also certain risks. Chazal say, Chachma Tamin, Torah Al Tamin, There's a distinction between Chachma and Torah. And in the meeting of Chachma and Torah, there are three possibilities and three options. One option is to accept Torah and only Torah, and everything is in the Torah, and everything else has no ultimate value. And if one goes to university to get a degree, to get a job, but in terms of his world, he's firmly immersed only in the world of Torah. Others take the opposite approach. Torah is interesting, but when one comes to Chachma, that's something that's scientific, that's been tested, that's been thought out by scholars throughout uh, throughout the ages. It's uh, it's it's based on empiric evidence. And they kind of leave the world of Torah and are very, very impressed by the world of what we call Chachma. But there's a third approach. Approach I think, that uh, one of the great spokesmen for that approach is Rabbi Sachs. And that's a certain meeting of chachma and Torah together, a meeting in which Torah is not inferior to Chachmah, it's in a certain way superior to, to chachma. but one which doesn't, want, doesn't come to reject, accepts chachma, and without being apologetic, one is firm in his Torah beliefs and Torah values, and is able to integrate the world of chachma actually reach greater levels in terms of his understanding of Torah itself we're very very privileged that Rabbi Sachs agreed to speak to us and uh, present certain of his views in preparation of our year on various campuses our years on campuses and uh, before I introduce, before I, I, I invite Rabbi Sachs to speak, um, this lecture is in memory of Atamed Khafer, Mark Weinberg, a very special person who was also close to Rabbi Sachs, somebody who, he died at a very young age, but he was very, very developed, and he, one of the things that were outstanding about him was his communal involvement, in which on the one hand, he was... Very, very dedicated and committed as a Torah Jew. On the other hand, his involvement and his and his his truma, what he what he gave, went way beyond the dalal amos of Halach and the base medrash. He was very, very involved in the world around him, and the world of chachma as well. And uh, therefore, I'd like to invite uh, Rabbi Sachs to, to speak to us. So hopefully, there'll be time afterwards for some questions. And following those questions, we're going to break into this, different discussion groups based more or less on various different campuses, in order to discuss what actually goes on on those various campuses. Sorry.
1: Kudarav, Rabotai, beloved friends, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. It's a privilege to deliver some words in the memory of Mark Weinberg one of the finest young men I ever met. Mark cared so passionately for his Yiddishkeit but even no less so for the people he met. He was always encouraging people to fill their full potential, to grow as people. And although he died at a tragically young age, in a strange way, mitzvah, gereret mitzvah, the good we do continues to beget good and the influence he had in his all too short a life continues to this day. Sadiqim don't die because the good they do continues to operate in the world. And therefore, in memory of a remarkable young man who was a leader in himself and a source of leadership in others, I dedicate these words. you so much thank you uh, super. It's, it's lovely to be in such a wonderful crowd Stand in Yerushalayim, you meet everyone you ever wanted to meet who you ought to meet. <laughs> there are plenty of other places where you can meet people you don't want to meet, but Yerushalayim, only the best people gather here. And thank you for being here. Rabbo Sai. Parashat Truma begins a most extraordinary sequence. Hakamat Mishkan, the building of the first collective house of God, occupies half of Kisis of an enormous length the longest as it were single sequence in the Torah and there is something very strange about it as the as it was the late alive of it's a blessed memory pointed out there are linguistic parallels between the act of the Israelites creating the Mishkan and the act of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in creating the universe. There are a whole series of parallels. Vayaz, Hamalacha, Vayachal, Vayavarech. Key words appear in both narratives. Now, contrast them. HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates the universe, a vast universe, 13.7 billion light-years across and still expanding, as against this tiny, portable, Beit Knesset, really, the Mishkan, this tiny little thing. And yet, how many Pesukim does it take the Torah to describe creation? 34. You know, 31 in 1, the first two Pesukim, three Pesukim in Bereshit 2, 34 Pesukim. But the Mishkan, five to six hundred Pesukim. How come the Torah goes in such greater length in describing the building of the Mishkan than Briyat HaOlam? And the answer I once suggested was this. It is not difficult for an infinite, omnipotent creator to create a home for human beings. What is difficult is for finite, frail, and fallible human beings to create a home for our Kodesh That is the tough challenge. And that is why the Torah is Marech on Binyana Mishkan and Mekatsa on Briyatola. However, there is another question about this whole sequence. Tell me, how in one phrase, one line, would you describe the subject of Sefer Shemot? Am Yisrael, yeah the first time the word Am appears in the connection with <coughs> Am Yisrael. In Beresh, in Shemot chapter 1, Hinei, well Am B'nei Yisrael, the first time the word Am appears in the Jewish connection in the Torah. Shemot, the Bereshit is the story of the birth of the Jewish family. Shemot, the birth of the Jewish nation. Now, if you knew, didn't know where the episode of the Mishkan occurred and all you knew were there were five books of Moses, which book would you expect to find it in? Yeah? Vayikra. Vayikra, which deals with Torah at with Korbonus, with Avodat HaMishkan. If I didn't know, I would have said that's where you would find it. Instead, we find it as the last third of Sefer Shemot, which is the birth of Israel, as a nation. And that is what I want to ask today. Why is the story of the Binyan, Mikdash, V'asuli Mikdash, V'shichati V'tocham, why is it in Shemot and not in Vaikra? And I'm going to suggest the following. A nation means... That each of us as individuals recognize that there is something bigger than us. There's the Amaz a whole. And Moshe Rabbeinu had to turn a group of escaping slaves into a nation capable of acting together to build a land, a state, a holy nation in the Holy Land. And what do we find throughout Shemot? The Israelites given any opportunity, complain. Moshe Rabbeinu comes, says, the G-d is going to lead you out to freedom. It makes things temporarily worse. They complain. Moshe Rabbeinu takes them out into the desert and there's no water. They complain. He, Moshe Rabbeinu brings them water from a rock, but it's not Periah. They complain. There's no food. They complain. Moshe Rabbeinu brings them. Lachem it's not flashy They complain. They come up against the Red Sea. They want to go back to Egypt. Moshe Rabbeinu does the biggest miracle of all. Kriyat Suf. They go through. And for a moment, Vayaminu Barchemu How long did that last? Three days. And then, Lomotsumayim, and they complain again. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what? I'm going to do something spectacular. Never happened before. Never happened again. I will appear. HaKadosh Baruch Hu b'chvodah at Har Sinai and I will teach my people the Torah. There never was a revelation like this. Nobody ever claimed a revelation like this in the entire history of religion. There are other religions in which God is revealed to Son of God, other religions in which God is revealed to Prophet of God, but no religion in which God is revealed to people of God. 600 Shishim ribut. It does not happen. And the people tremble. There was real Yerat Shemayim. How long did that last? 40 days. And then comes Egel the people create a golden calf after all the miracles and all the wonders, and the revelation at Sinai. So how does Baruch Hu go one better than Kriyas Yamsuf and Mahmud Harasinai? What's one big what's one step higher than that? There is no step higher than that. So, how is Moshe Rabbeinu going to transform this complaining, volatile, backsliding, mercurial group of individuals into a nation? And it is then that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does the most unexpected thing. In psychotherapy, they call it paradoxical intervention. He says, and you want Moshe Rabbeinu to turn this people into a people, even after Kriyas Yom Suf, even after Revelation of Sinai, I'll tell you how it is done. Get them to build me something. Together. And during the whole period of Pinyana Mishgan, there's no argument, no complaint, no sin, no backsliding. Moshe Rabbeinu asks people to give, and it's not compulsory, it's voluntary. And the people give, the men, the women, some give gold, some silver, some the some give, give jewels, some give. Of their wealth, some give of their time, some give of their skills, but everyone gives, so much so that for the first and quite possibly the last time in history, a fundraising campaign has to end with the word stop, we have too much already. All of a sudden, this complaining and divided nation has become non-complaining, it's become passionate, it volunteers, it's working together. And why? Why did that work? And why did Kriyat Yamsuf and Mahmoud Har Sinai not transform the people? And it is only when we reflect on that that we encounter one of the most profound truths in the religious life. Which is, it is not what Hashem does for us that transforms us, it is what we do for Hashem. That changes us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu every day and every moment is giving every one of us a series of miracles. Every breath we take is a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God is giving us all the time. But the greatest gift God gives us is the opportunity to give him something. That is extraordinary. That is what the Mukubalim called Simpson. God actually makes it possible for us f- frail and fallible to give him something. <laughs> And it is when we give, when we do, when we build. That is when we reach our full maturity. That's when we reach the full height God has created for us. That is when individuals stop being individualistic and join together in a higher common cause. That is when a nation is built. And that is why Binyan and is in Sefe Shemot and not in Sefe Vayikra. And now I want to show you something. Something very striking about Sefer Shemot as a whole. And I just uh, want to explain this to you. If you look carefully at Sefer Shemot, you will see there are various episodes that seem to be doubled So, let me give you a few examples. Number one, the most famous example is the Luchot. God gives the Luchot to Moshe and to Israel twice. Luchot Rishonim, that Asher Shibarta, that Moshe Rabbeinu broke. And the Luchot Shniot. Number two. Parashat Beshalach, which is a kind of turning point in Jewish history as the Israelites go through the sea and move from the domain of Paro to the domain, as it were, of the Midbar, where they can hear the Medaber. Immediately before and immediately after Kriyat Suf, there is a battle Only there is a difference between the battle before and the battle after. Do you know what the difference is? Listen very carefully to what it says before Kriyat Yam Suf. Vayomah Ha'am Al Tirau <laughs> Hidiyatzuru Ruat Yeshuah Hashem. Selachem Ayam. Says to the people, "Don't be afraid. Stand still. So see the salvation of Hashem." which he's going to do for you today. God will fight for you and you be quiet. The battle before Kriyat Tiam was fought by a Kaddish Baruch. What about the battle after Kriyat Tiam Suv? Melchemet The battle after Yamsuf Suf was fought by the Israelites. God did not fight them it for them. There was no at Hashem. The battle before Kriyas Yamsuf, God did. The battle afterwards Israel did, inspired by God. Yes, whenever they were, Moses lifted his hands. The people looked towards heaven. They were inspired by God, but they fought the battle themselves. What was the difference between the first and second luchot? Anyone know? What? Pardon? Yeah. About the first luchot, it says, "Va the first tablets were by, uh, all done by Hashem, but in the second tablets, you hew the tablets and I will inscribe. There were two revelations in Shemot, of the Anan Hashem covering something. First, Anan etaha. At the giving of Torah, the cloud covered the mountain. And at the end, when the people have finished completing the Mishkan, the end of Sefer Shemot Anan et Ohel Moed, Hashem Mishkan. The cloud of Hashem filled the Mishkan. In other words, as you'll see in Josh Berman's little book called The Temple, the Mishkan was a kind of mini Harasinai. It was a portable Harasinai. So again, we see the difference. The first revelation of Anan Hashem is on a God-made mountain. But the second revelation is on a man-made space, the Mishkan, And so on and so forth. There are two accounts of the building of the Mishkan. Account 1, Truma Tetzave. Account 2, Vayakel and Pekude. The difference is Truma Tetzave are God's command and Vayakel and Pekude are the Israelites' fulfillment of that command. So, in other words, there are a whole series of episodes which are doubled, but in which episode one is what the Mukubalim call Itaruta de la Ela, an awakening from above. God initiates, God does the doing. And in the second one, it is Itaruta de la Tata, it is human beings taking the initiative. Moses carves the rock. The Israelites fight the battle. B'nai Israel create the space filled by Anan K'vod Hashem and so on and so forth. And it is, in each case, the second of the two that transform the people who are involved. So, for instance, whereas the B'nai Israel complain before the battle with Mitzrayim, there is no complaint from the Israelites ever recorded with Mohammed Amalek. When Amalek comes, and Amalek was worse in some respects than Mitzrayim, nonetheless, there's no complaint, no saying, let's go back to Egypt. The truth is, they fight the battle themselves and they find the courage, inspired by Moses' uplifted hands to fight. What happened after the Luchot Shniot that didn't happen after the Luchot uh, after the first wilchot, Moses' face shone. Lo yada ki karano Why? Because he had a share in the making of it. The first tablets, he didn't have a share. His face didn't shine. He wasn't transformed. He was merely, you know, Hashem did it and gave it to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu stayed the same Moshe Rabbeinu. But once Moshe Rabbeinu had done the Kha. Then he was a different Moshe Rabbeinu. To repeat, it is not what God does for us that changes us. It's what we do for Hashem. And if that is so, then we arrive at the following very, very paradoxical conclusion. That there are two ways of reading Sefer Shemitah. Way one, we all learned as children. Sefer Shemot is the book that contains more miracles done by God than all the other books of Tanakh put together. It's a book of God doing it for us. That is the superficial reading of Shemot. But what I've tried to show you is that there is a second narrative throughout Shemot, from beginning to end, which tells a quite different story. Which we only fully understand when we're no longer children, and when we grow up. And then we can hear this. Which is that Seyfe Shemot is Hashem's call to us to exercise responsibility. I want you to fight your battles for you. I will be with you giving you the courage and the inspiration to win. But I won't be fighting the battle. You will be fighting the battle. I will be with you in the Mishkan. But first, you have to make the Mishkan. I will be with you in the Luchot. But first, you have to carve the Luchot. There's one shita that the first tablets and the second tablets had a big difference between them. According to this shita, which of course Rabbi Soloveitchik said, so, held by, is that with the first tablets, God gave Moses only Torah shebechtav. With the second tablets, he gave Torah and also Torah sheb-alpe. The big difference is Torah shebechtav is kulo kodesh. It's all from a kodesh baruch. There's no human element in Torah shebechtav. It's all a kodesh baruch. But Torah shebeal peh, it is we using. The knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that Hashem has given us to be mevin dava, and to apply all the uh, 13 rules of Rabbi Yishmol, etc., etc., and to be mevin dava, toch etc., etc., and using our own intellectual skills given to us by Hashem, we draw out the implicit divine message through Torah Sheba And that is why the Luchot Shniot had that transformative effect. In the fullness of time, it was Torah Baal that kept the Jewish people alive. To this day, you are learning Gemara. You are learning Torah Baal peh. So it is not what God does for us, but what we do for Hashem that changes us. Sefer Shemot is Hashem's call to responsibility. Hashem is saying to us, don't leave it to me. I want you to become my Shuttafim, I want you to be my partners. I want you to exercise responsibility. To be a Jew is to accept responsibility. To be a Jew is not to see suffering and evil and injustice in the world and say, that's the way the world is, or that's the way Hashem wants us. wants it. To be a Jew is to say, no, I will fight injustice. I will be a, a, a teacher fighting ignorance, a lawyer fighting injustice, an economist fighting poverty, a doctor fighting disease, a therapist fighting depression. I am not going to leave the world as it is. I am going to become a Kaddish Baruch Hu's partner in changing and redeeming the world. That's what God is saying to us in Sefer Shemot. That is the great meaning of why Truma is there. Truma was the first act of creation undertaken collectively by Bnei Israel. And the greatest act of creation undertaken by the Jewish people as a whole in 2,000 years is Medina Yisrael, which we are sitting in right now and celebrating right now, because we got Israel. When great rabbanim. Rab Yehuda al and and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, Rav Kalash and Rav Rhinas and Rav Kukzal understood that a Baruch Hu is crying to us from heaven saying, Save Don't let the world attack you. Go and fight. Fight for your space. Come back to the land. B'nai Yisrael heard that call. Some of them knew they heard that call. There were certain chilonim who thought they were doing it on their own. But then I say, I believe that secular Israelis are the only people who really believe that secular Israelis are secular. Because deep down, they are maminim b'nei maminim. It's just they don't know it yet. But deep down they are. And therefore, the state of Israel is something the Jewish people did for God when they didn't sit and wait for God to do it for us. And that is what changes us. To really hear the call of Hashem as He calls to each of us, Ayeka, where are you? Is to hear His call to go out and transform the world. And to turn Chol into Kodesh and to turn Ra into Tov and to turn Klala into Bracha. That is the Jewish way. And that, that is the way God becomes something within us, not something external to us. God becomes the force that gives us the energy to create a better world. So as you study th- this year or these years, as you go back to wherever you're going to on the next stage of your Jewish journey, hear Hashem's call to responsibility. Make a decision. I am not in my lifetime going to leave the world the way it is. When I see something wrong, I'm going to help to put it right. When I see some desolation there, I am going to build a home for the Shekhinah. Whether it is in your friends who are dropping out of Yiddishkeit or it's, I don't know what, whatever it is, you will know, you will hear Hashem's call. When you see something wrong and you don't wait for Hashem to put it right, you Here, Hashem within you, giving you the strength to put it right, that is when you build a little bit of your own mishkan. May Hashem give us all the strength, not to accept the world, but to transform the world. And take the world that is a little closer to the world that ought to be. To be makarev et ha To bring closer redemption. One day at a time, one act at a time. That is Hashem's call to us. And the truth is, the word truma, which means a contribution, also means something you lift. Or to be more precise, something that you think you lift, but actually is lifting you. Aron no said no sav. The more you give, the more you will be lifted, and the more tall you will walk. May Hashem bless all you do, and may you be a source of pride to Am Yisrael, and of nachas roach to Hashem. Amen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 sure. Uh, uh, I've for a question.
1: I think th- the first question has to be a very loud question.
2: <coughs> what does uh,
1: Rishit Tzmiiqat Gulatenu mean to the Rav? Rishit Gulatenu means that Am Yisrael has taken the first step. And Hashem is waiting for us to take the next step. Would you like to know what the next step is? The first step was to build Medinat Israel. The second step will be to build Hevra Yisraelit. Not just a Jewish state, but a Jewish society. In which we fight poverty the way the Torah tells us to. Only now we have a high-tech economy we don't have an agrarian economy, so and all this kind of stuff. You know, we have to tr- finesse it the way Chazal did by translating that into the generic word sudakar. We have to fight poverty in Israel. We have to fight underprivilege in Israel. We have to fight the uh, the, the the general cynicism that people have about the political system. You know, we have to read the Haftarah of Shabbos Chazon probably once a week, uh, at least after we've been reading the Israeli press, we have to read it once a week. I don't think Israel is any different here from any other country, but, you know, politics should be a matter of principle, not a matter of, uh, of uh, et cetera. In other words, that whole prophetic imperative, Hashem did not by accident tell us in the Torah that the way from Eretz Canaan to the Promised Land passes through Egypt, which looks on the map like a diversion. Actually, it wasn't a diversion. Am Yisrael had to live to see with its own Eyes and feel with its own bones what a hierarchical, unequal, oppressive society looks like. And then they would know, we are going to create a society that will be the opposite of Egypt. And that's why Kaddish Baruch Hu gave us Shabbos, not not only Zecha yeah. Lama Seber but Zecha L'tzien Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, if you were a slave, you work without stop. In is Iz- in Israel, everyone is going to rest and be free for one day in seven. A society that is the living embodiment of all the values in Torah. Read Torah, read the Mosaic books, from the beginning of Barathees to the end of Sefer Devarim, and you will see this is not a code for personal happiness, nirvana, bliss, whatever. You know, it's not a private code for, uh, you know, dveikus even. It's a code for building a society driven by the values of tzedek, mishpat, chesed, and rachamim. And I tell you, I've just been on a mission to various places in the Galil where there's a lot of poverty and a lot of families that didn't have chances. <coughs> and I have been so inspired by what is going on every single day here in this country often by people who are doing Ritzon Hashem without even knowing they're doing Ritzon Hashem because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew we were that kind of people that's why he chose us and these are beautiful things but the world doesn't know about them and they don't happen evenly all the way through Israel So we have to take the Torah into the Rishut HaRabim, by which I do not mean the Knesset necessarily. (laughs) I mean the Rishut HaRabim, where people really live, not where they vote, where they live. And that is the next step. And that will be an even bigger, well, not an even bigger, it will be an equal next step in (laughs) Tzmichat Gulateinu. Step three, let's just finish step two before we discuss step three. But step three will come. We just have to keep going. Don't think that in 1948, Yom Ha'atzmaut HaKamat that was enough. Reshit Tzmi'chad Gulatenu means that has to be after step one, step two. Say that again? So college. Look. Aliyah is simply this that in Israel Judaism is at home. Everywhere else it's a bit of a guest and a bit of a stranger. So I, I happen to live in Iaho Kodesh, St John's Wood in Go- in, in London. And i tell you what St. John, Kiddush, what Shabbos is in St. John's Wood in London. Uh, Shabbos there is wonderful at home and in shul and in Kiddush after shul. It's called gav- of But you go out into the street and it ain't Shabbos. In Yerushalayim, Shabbos is in the Rosh Hashanah. Shabbat is an objective thing. <coughs> Whereas in Chutz it's a subjective state. Are you with me? So in Chutz Shabbat is in Galut. Ramban was not just talking mysticism when he says in his commentary to Parashat Achremot, Every mitzvah can only be fulfilled in its totality here in Eretz Yisrael and Medina Yisrael. So Aliyah is the completion of one's life as a Jew. And some of us will get here quicker than others, and we don't have to give the others who are traveling slower than us a hard time. Okay? We don't have to give them a hard time. Have a look at the last Rashi in Sefer Shemot. The last Rashi in Sefer Shemot is on the phrase in the cloud... Of Hashem was on the uh, on the Ohel, B'chol Maasehem, yeah, during all their journeys. And Rashi, quite rightly, sees that that phrase cannot be literally true, because B'chol Masehem, when they were actually traveling, the cloud wasn't over the Ohel moed, it was in front, signaling them where they had to travel. So he recognizes that it can't literally be true, because it was only over the uh, over the Ohel when, uh, when they were in camp, not when they were traveling. And Rashi says, Lofi, because they knew that each place that they stopped, they were going to have to one day uproot and keep traveling. Even when they were still at encamped it was still called part of the journey. So even if a Jew is still encamped in Melbourne or Wellington or even Yehakodesh St. John's Wood, that still means, it doesn't mean we're there to stay. It means we're on a journey. We're just temporarily encamped. But the best way of hammering that message through is to do it positively (coughs) without berating the people who still need to stay in camp for another day or two, or year or two, okay? We'll get here in the end. Yes? As students,
0: especially those of us, you know,
1: coming from Israel and going back to America, what, what can we do to solve or or slow the intermarriage and assimilation rate, especially in America, as, as well as other places? You know, show people Judaism is fun. I don't mean kef, I mean simcha. Are you with me? You know what they will tell you is Judaism. Guys, we're going to give you Judaism 101. Number one, the world hates us. Number two, the world is full of anti-Semites. Number three, turn on CNN or any European newspaper. They hate Israel. Number four, etc. And we have this wonderful pos- positive message. Guys, let's be Jewish because... Great. Thank you. <laughs> they have enemies. Okay. Get over it, guys. Get over it. We have enemies, lots of people have enemies. The Americans have enemies, the Brits have enemies, the Christians have enemies, the Muslims have enemies. It's not specially Jewish to have enemies. What is uniquely Jewish is to have enemies and still be besimcha. <coughs> Comes sukkahs. We leave our dirat keva. We sit in a dirat arai. And in Yerushalayim it's beautiful to sit in a sukkah on sukkahs. But in Iakodish and John's Wood, it isn't. You sit in a sukkah on sukkahs, you get wet, you catch cold, it's freezing, it's miserable. And what do they call that? Zman <coughs> Simchatin. Are you with me? On sukkahs, you sit Patzilla de Mehemnuta under the shelter of faith. And all the winds in the world can be blowing, and still, a Jew is b'simcha. Go back to your campus. Where are you going? Why you. What? Why you? <laughs> Why me? <laughs> oh, why you? Why you? You, may, you and I may meet there. You know that. We'll see. We'll see. Serve, call, serve. go out and show people that Judaism is a way of celebrating life and you will bring Jews back to Judaism. Yeah. Please. Um,
0: what you say you Egal? Like, what role did it play the, the,
1: the What say that again?
0: Meaning like you said the first and the second report, where different ideas
1: where so what role would you say? If the Bnei Yisrael, you know, um, it w- when it comes to Kriyat HaTorah, we just listen to Torah, yeah? But when it comes to Torah Shabbal we add our voice to Torah, yeah? Because for every word of Torah, there's a commentary. Uh, that commentary, you know, Chazal uh, says, The Torah has 70 faces. The Ma'ashor, in his Chidush HaGadah, says... There are six hundred faces to the Torah. Every Jew has a commentary on the Torah that nobody else had. So when we, uh, when we, not only listen to Torah shebichtav, but we add our Torah shebaalpeh, our commentary to God's word. When God speaks, and we speak back to God, saying this is how His word strikes us, then. The word meets, the word of God meets the answering word of humanity, and out of that is born something that is always creative. Are you with me? So the Torah says about the Torah itself that it was a kol gadol v'lo yasaf. Yeah? And what does that phrase mean? And Chazali, even Rashi, gives two explanations which are completely contradictory. Kolgadova Yasav means on explanation one, a great voice that never happened again. And the second is Kolgadova Yasav Psik. A voice that happened once and ever again. A voice that never ended. So how can it Kolgadova Yasav mean on the one hand a voice that sounded just once and never again, or a voice that sounded ever again? And the answer is that is Torah shebechtav and that is Torah Shabolta. Torah Shavichtav was given once for all time, but Torah Shabbalpeh is something we are sharers in, co-creators with through all time, and that is why the Luchot Shniot, which were accompanied by Torah Shabbalpeh, were never broken, whereas the Luchot Rishonim, which were the holiest object ever carved by God, written by God, the holiest object ever, nonetheless that was broken, just as a meteorite can crumble when it. Enters Earth's atmosphere. It was just too holy to survive, and that was the difference between one and two. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Any other ladies? I can't see. Uh, Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I did in that case. Uh, Yes. So,
2: what do
1: you think the role of Cheta Ego played? Oh, Cheta Ego. Oh well, it wasn't good news, guys. Sorry. You you know roughly uh, what Yehuda HaLevi says about Chet HaEgel. You know, it was a very holy sin, you know. They wanted, since Kiboshesh Moshe Lareded Minaha, they wanted God to be close to them. And Yehuda HaLevi says that was a correct desire. It was just a wrong way of fulfilling the desire. And that's why God gave the Mishkan, which was a permanent presence of God in the midst of the camp. And that's why God gave the second tablets, which, uh, which carried with them that transformative power of making your face shine. So the role that Chet HaEgel played in that transition depends actually on how you interpret Chet HaEgel. But I've given you, I think, the best one, which is the interpretation of Yehuda Levi in the Kuzari. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Last night. in terms of being with the world
1: yeah We have a quite extraordinary contrast in the at the very beginning in the opening chapter, as it were, of Jewish history, between Avram and Lot. Lot chooses to live in Sodom. It's prosperous. And if we read Bereshit chapter nineteen, we see that he's really assimilated, right? His daughters have married local boys. Oto <speaking> shovet <in Hebrew> says Rashi. He become a judge. He was really one of them. He thought, I've, I have entered this society. I'm going to act the way this society acts, and I'm going to be accepted. And do you know what the residents say to him? I b'alaguv v'shapod yishpot. Look at this immigrant who thinks he's one of us and presumes to judge us. Avram fights a battle for the people of Sodom in chapter 14. In chapter 18, he governs for them. He dovens for them. He fights for them, he dovens for them, but he doesn't become like them. He is true to his faith and a blessing to others regardless of their faith as for Lot who thought he had really become one of them they look at him like uh, you know look at this Jew who thinks he's one of us Avram who fights for them who prays for them but does not become like them when he needs to buy a plot of land from the Bnei Ches, from the Hittites, what do they say to him? Nesi Elohim, ata You are a prince of God in your midst. Let me tell you, I have lived among non-Jews for 22 years. I don't stay in my on this I broadcast on the BBC, I write for the national press, I get involved. And I see a lot of Jews who are involved, some of whom stand upright as Jews, sticking to their principles, and some of them who hide their identity as Jews, and go along with the crowd. And I will tell you, after 22 years, I have discovered two truths. Non-Jews respect Jews who respect Judaism. And number two, non-Jews are embarrassed by Jews who are embarrassed by Judaism. Living in society does not mean going along with society. It means being true to yourself and a blessing to others. It does not mean going along. We have a society which is as far from Jewish values in some respects as it is possible to be. And therefore we're not going to go along with that. We are going to be there and show that you can live differently. Now that's difficult because the human urge to conform is immense. A- any of you studied psychology? You will know that after the Second World War in the 50s and 60s, some famous scientific experiments were made on, you know, subjects being given simple tests. And they think they're in a group of six people who are randomly chosen to be in this experiment, but actually five of the six people are actually scientific researchers pretending to be experimental subjects. And you're asked, you know, is this line the same length as that line, or this line, or this line? And the five, four of the five, three of the five will give, or five, all five will give a deliberately wrong answer. And the experimental subject, seeing that everyone else is giving answer A, will, in at least 50% of the time, give the answer A, even though he knows the answer is not A. The urge to conform is so great, it will lead people to believe things they know are false and do things they know are wrong. Do you think the financial crash of 2008, do you think people didn't know that this ultra high leveraging and, and securitization of risk and junk um, and, and subprime mortgages was not a fraud against the party they knew it. Warren Buffett said so in two thousand and two, six years before the crash. And yet everyone else is doing it, so why shouldn't we? The urge to conform is immense. And that is why we are here in the world, because Jews never conform. You want to know how to fill a completely empty shul? Put a big sign outside saying, no Jews admit it. Do you know what I mean? They'll storm the barriers and the shul will be full. You know, the world says, do this, Jews do the other. Tell me, do populations move from high civilizations to low or from low civilizations to high? From low to high, from poor to rich. What was the supreme civilization in Abraham's day? Mesopotamia. Where is Abraham going? The opposite direction. What was the supreme civilization in Moshe Rabbeinu's day? Mitzrayim. He's going in the opposite direction. When all the world is going that way, we go that way. To be a Jew is to be different. And the world needs people who are different because otherwise people can fall. And when people conform, they do things that are bad and that they know are bad. And therefore, you have to go into that society knowing that around you in your office at work will be nine people out of ten who are living a lifestyle that cannot be your lifestyle. And you have to be strong enough to do it. And you will then be a blessing to them. If we are the same as the rest of the world, why does the world need Jews? Are you with me? We are there to be different. And that is my challenge. It's not easy. (laughs) Much easier to stay at home, okay? But the truth is, God is saying, go out there and create a home for my presence. And that's what you have to do. Yeah, I think... Sorry, timings? It's now 11.10. What's it supposed to be? (laughs) Uh, I, I think this may have to be the last question, if you'll forgive me. Yeah? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah.
2: What's the best way to respond to those
1: who deal with the existence of the Small. It's, more. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, <if> I mean. <laughs> <coughs> Look, let me be very blunt with you. There's no general answer to that. Dhamma la Hashif. It's very contextual, and I would never give an answer in general. I have only to give an answer in particular, you know. If I'm in a, an environment where people are very hostile to Israel, I have to spend enough time <clears throat> in Shomet Ha'avir, you know, just to, to find out exactly where people are coming from, and I can't give you an answer that is right for every situation. And I'm not even going to try I'll I'll just tell you the truth as I see it. Number one. The state of Israel was not born after the Holocaust. The state of Israel was not born because of the United Nations vote on the 29th of November 1947. The state of Israel was not born Because of the Balfour Declaration in 1917, the State of Israel was not born when the word Zionism was first coined in the early 1890s. The State of Israel was born in the first syllables of Jewish time. Seven times, HaKadosh Baruch, who promises Abraham, Eretz Yisrael. The main people who oppose Jews in Israel today are either Christians of a certain kind or Muslims. Christians and Muslims both recognize Avram Avinu as the grandfather of their faith as well as our faith. And therefore we have to say, in a world in which there are 125 countries, in which the majority of the population is Christian, and there are 56 nations which are Muslim nations, in a world where there are so many nations that are Christian or Muslim, if that world does not have space for one tiny piece of land that is the world's only Jewish state, what kind of world is this? What kind of Christians and Muslims are you really? In what sense are you children of Abraham? In what sense do you really respect us the people who staked our lives on being children of Abraham. There are five or six problems confronting humanity. Not Israel, not the West, not the Middle East. Humanity in the 21st century. Number one, climate change. Number two, asylum seekers. Number three, the growing gap within and between nations between rich and poor. Number four, Terror, number five, asymmetric warfare of the Al-Qaeda kind that is spreading to Algeria, to Mali, etc., etc. And number six, the maintenance of democracy in parts of the world that have not had a long tradition of democracy. Those are the six major global problems that affect everyone in this world. And let's take them one by one. Climate change, Israel... Before the word Zionism was coined, in the 1860s, before anyone had heard of ecology, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring was the first great book of the environmental movement and that wasn't published until 1947. In the 1860s, Chovavet Zion, the proto-Zionist movement, was already planting trees in Israel. While the world is de-afforesting, Israel was re The first country in the world to take positive environmental measures, as a result, turning a barren and desolate landscape into a landscape of farms, forests, and fields. Number two, asylum seekers. There are only two nations in the world made almost entirely out of asylum seekers one is the United States of America, two is Eretz Israel. They have shown what it is, a pluribus unum as. It says in America, to take the many and make them one. Number three, the growing economic gaps between rich and poor nations. A bare half century ago, Israel was a poor nation, a third world economy, with no natural resources except the ingenuity of its people. Today, Israel is one of the world's leading high-tech economies. There are more high-tech startups in Israel than in any country in the world, except China China. And the United States, two little countries, one with 1.2 billion people, one with 300 million. And then there's Israel, number three. There isn't a single country in Europe, not France, not Britain, not Italy, not Germany, who has as many startup, start-up high-tech industries as little, tiny, little Israel. Number four, terror. The wall for which Israel has been castigated by the whole world is the only non-violent solution to terror and suicide bombings the world have ever yet come up with. Number five, asymmetric warfare. America to fight Al-Qaeda in Pakistan, even Afghanistan, etc., etc. is using drone technology created, invented in Israel. Number six, The maintenance of democracy in parts of the world that never knew it. Israel never was and never could be anything other than a democracy. I call Israel a hyper-democracy. I mean, you don't only have the Knesset, you go into a taxi, you're immediately in the middle of... You're talking to Israel's next prime minister. You know, I mean... (laughs) In other words, every one of the six problems facing humanity in the 21st century, Israel is confronted, Israel has done as much as any nation in the world to solve. Therefore, Israel is a signal of hope. Not just to Jews but to all of humanity. It tells all of humanity that a country does not have to be big to be great. A country does not have to have many natural resources in order to become an economic leader. A country that never had a democracy can become one. And therefore, God forbid, if you attack Israel, you are attacking hope. Israel is a source of hope to the world. And we truly believe that if people would come here and see for themselves, if they would just open their ears, then they would not attack Israel. Instead, they would ask, how can the rest of the world become Israel? Thank you very much indeed. I,
0: I want to thank uh, Rabbi Sachs. Uh, as I'm sure all of you know, Rabbi Sachs is uh, completing his term as being uh, Chief Rabbi of England. But uh, he's not going to stop what he's doing, and he's he's been for the last two, two, a few years one of the great spokesmen for Judaism. And we want to give him a bracha that will continue to Mekadoshim Shemaim Barabin and continue his great work, and it's been an inspiration, I think, for us today and for many of us for many, many, many years. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Rabbi Schrader to, to speak. We're going to break into discussion groups, as I said before, to deal with issues that go on on campuses. And uh, I, uh, I want to invite a good friend of mine, Rabbi Menachem Schrader, who has really dedicated his life to improving Orthodox life on campuses. He's the one that began JLIC, um, and I want him to say a few words about it. Rabbi Schrader. First of all, I want to thank Rabbi Sachs for addressing us.
2: And uh, his words and his presence speak for themselves. In the United States and Canada, the Jewish Learning Initiative on campus sends husband and wife teams to 16 campuses, the great majority of which are the places that you are going to be going to, if you're not going to Yeshiva College or Stern. The Jewish Learning Initiative on campus is present on 16 campuses in North America, at Brandeis, at UMass, at Yale, at NYU, at Cornell, at Brooklyn, at Queens, at Rutgers, at Princeton, at Penn, at Hopkins, at Maryland, at University of Illinois, UCLA, at York and Toronto, and at Guelph. And Be'ezrat Hashem, hopefully, at more campuses next year. To be there for you, to help you learn Torah, keep mitzvot, (laughs) And develop a Torah community within each and every campus. I know. In England and in Scotland, the University Jewish Ca- Chaplaincy does exactly the same thing. Present on at uh, Oxford and at Cambridge and Beis at Leeds and at Manchester and in Scotland, there's one couple for several universities and at Nottingham. Baruch Hashem. The, the Orthodox Union in North America and the United Synagogue in England, with the help of many other individuals, are there to help you. First of all, when you get to campus, please make a special effort to find your Torah educator couple. You can Google JLIC, Jewish Learning Initiative on Campus, or My Chaplaincy, UJC in the United Kingdom, and it should come up very easily. However, we would like to directly be in touch with you as soon as possible, even before you get to those campuses. Therefore, I was handing out at the beginning these forms called the Jewish Incoming Student Form, which those of you who have not received, please fill out. Those of you who have received it, also please fill it out. Please hand it in to me or to one of your Rebbeim, who will in turn hand it to me. This will make it much easier for our, to our educators on campus to be directly in touch with you. Please do this. This is for your good. This is for all of our good. And uh, if you're from England, please fill it out anyways. And we will transmit the information to the University Jewish Chaplaincy in London to be sent to the chaplains on each and every campus in England as well. Sorry for taking your time. Mizrah Hashem, right now, uh, Roger Grimm is going to announce the sessions.